0: Hello, and welcome to the Legacy of Generosity podcast, developed by the Leave a Legacy Committee of the Minnesota Gift Planning Association. We are a group of fundraising professionals here to grow and learn with you, our listeners. Twice a month, our co-hosts are joined by a special guest to talk about all things related to being a stronger fundraiser and nonprofit. leader. A huge thank you to our sponsors, the Minnesota Initiative Foundations, for making this show possible. Now, without further ado, let's dive into today's show. Here are your hosts.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to our podcast, A Legacy of Generosity. Uh, I am today's uh, one of today's co-hosts. I'm Gay Gonerman, and I'm the Director of Donor Engagement for Lake Wapagasset Lutheran Bible Camp, also known as Camp Wapo and Wilderness Canoe Base. And I'm here with my co-host, Allie. Allie, please say hello.
0: Hello. Yes, I'm Allie Schneider, the Planned Giving Manager over at Animal Humane Society.
1: Awesome, and our guest today is Francis Rowan, and she is the founder and CEO of Fundraising Soul, where since 2018 she has partnered with dozens of nonprofits and hundreds of nonprofit professionals across the country to make fundraising the bright spot in their days. And Francis, I'll invite you to share anything else you'd like to, by way of bio, with our listeners in. I recall. I may. I think I recall reading something about fried chicken. Is that right?
0: <laughs> That's a good memory. Yes. Hello. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for having me. So a little bit more, maybe about the fried chicken. <laughs> maybe just in general. Yes, please. Um, yeah, I'm a I'm a Georgia girl from uh you know by native Georgia girl and was uh, adopted by this snowy country up here. So. <laughs> I do love a good piece of fried chicken, and I'm always on the lookout for that, as well as some of my other Southern favorites. Um, But yes, I started Fundraising Soul about five years ago, and um, I'll try to weave a little bit of that into our conversation as to how that happened. Um, And one of the things that I'm super passionate about is the health and wellness of fundraising professionals. So I'm very glad to be here talking a little bit about how to make our practice, our fundraising practice, more healthy and um, just better for us overall.
1: Awesome. Well, I'll kick it off, if that's okay. You, we want to talk today about five essentials of soulful fundraising, and so you're going to share uh, kind of five uh specific uh practices i think with us is that right correct i will say what they are and then i'll let you kind of dive in and expand a little bit and we might pop in with some questions as you go too great so the five essentials are pause listen track align and focus so I'll let you start wherever you want and 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 talk about that with us.
0: Okay, perfect. Well, maybe what I should do is start out with a couple of statistics to kind of set the stage um, and, and give a little bit more background about healthy fundraising and practice and why it's so important. So, um, right, you know. COVID obviously has happened in the world. And around the time during COVID, there were lots of studies coming out um, about how people were feeling about work. Um, And at that time, the statistics were saying about 61% of all employees were um, identifying that they were burned out on the job. A recent study that came out from Microsoft put it more around 50% now, so we're doing a little bit better, but that's still half the workforce is really feeling burned out. And specific to fundraising, there was a study uh, that came out uh, in the UK about fundraising professionals specifically that showed that 26% of us took time off for anxiety and depression and stress. Related to our jobs. So that's a quarter of us, right? That are
1: taking one in four, yeah.
0: Yeah, because of stress related to work. And then another 36% of us or 36% of us are saying that our workload isn't achievable and the hours we're paid to work. And I think as fundraisers, we we all feel that, right? We have all of these goals associated with so many different parts of our job that are really stressful. And fundraising can really start to become this 24-7. Um, our job. And then, of course, there's all the things about tenure and and how long people stay in this profession and -hmm. the impact of that on um, the profession and the sector as a whole, right, as fundraisers turn over. And so when you look at these statistics, the, the other piece of it that is talked about, but probably not as much, is that women, and the majority of fundraising professionals are actually women in the U.S. anyway, um, we're on the losing end of all, all of those statistics, right? There's differences in pay and our personal work experiences and how long we stay in roles. Um, and it's it's even worse for black and brown women. Wow. Um. So so as a woman, um, you know, and all these things were true for me too. So I'll back up a little bit. When, when I fundraised for, for 15 years and then around year 15, I, I kind of paused and I realized that this job that had brought me, or this role that had brought me such satisfaction and joy, um, I wasn't feeling any of those things anymore. I was feeling exhausted and stressed out um, and, and not happy, in this professional. And it was truly because I was unwell, I was exhausted mentally and physically and spiritually. I kind of poured myself out Um, And not only was I suffering, but my colleagues were suffering because of who I was when I showed up for work, my organization was suffering, my family, um, you know, my practice as a whole. And so that meant the community who I was there to serve was not getting the best of me either and the best service, right? So everything was really suffering. So starting Fundraising Soul was really this opportunity to um, empower women and fundraisers to build a healthier practice, because it wasn't just like this passion for me anymore. It became like, this is critical to our sector, right? To have healthy fundraising practice. This is the only way that we're really going to be able to serve the community. And that's why we're here, because if we're burning out and we're exhausted um, and we aren't healthy, our organization and the work we do ultimately isn't either. So that's kind of the background. <laughs>
1: that is very think-
0: impressive that you recognize that and used your experience to not just be like, I give up, I'm leaving, I'm doing something else. And instead you made it into something that could help everybody then help the community. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it wasn't alone is what I realized, right? right? Talking to people. Um, I mean, the statistics show that, but as I just talked in general to people, I knew this was the common thread. Right. Mm -hmm. This is how people were feeling. And and people really did want to get back to finding that that joy and happiness and those things that fundraising have brought them, which is why most of us started, whether it's fundraising or something else in the nonprofit world, right? Right. We're we're here because we're passionate about it. Right.
1: I find it so interesting too, now in hindsight, that you came to that spot (laughs) pre-pandemic and now looking back through that lens is like you were actually at probably just the right time where you were kind of get wrapping your arms around that and being able to start offering tools for people mm-hmm. and then boom. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Yeah, business was really, was, um, was really good during the pandemic, interestingly, because I think people were feeling Not think, no, they were feeling incredibly stressed about everything. And then on top of that, there was this need, right, to raise funds because the the work of nonprofits had shifted and how it was, how the service was happening and funds were needed. And so there was even this added stress. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm glad we're maybe coming out of that a little bit, but um, I still think that this work of building healthy practice is so important. For sure. How how else can we serve the community if we're burnt out and not able mm-hmm. to be there and present, not
1: present.
0: functioning fully? Yeah. Um. So I'm happy to just jump into the the essentials if you want me to. Yeah, please. I'd, I'd love to learn more. All right. Uh. So the first one is what we call pause, and so this is exactly what that says, and it's about stopping to rest. And that rest doesn't mean, you know, nine hours of sleep stopping. It can be, but really it's just taking a moment to pause. And what I've found personally and, and working with others is that resting and pausing is a skill it's, you have to practice it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't come naturally to us. I mean, we are not typically bodies at rest, you know, we like to move and especially in in fundraising, there's just a lot to do. And so it's really hard to pause and stop. So we actually start every meeting um, and I should have done it with you guys, but that we have (laughs) with our our clients with first it's taking a breath, so, which can be really awkward for some people over Zoom, especially. So it's your <laughs> breath, right? It's like so taking that breath. And then we pause and have, we call it our soulful minute, but like a moment to reflect. And sometimes it is just deep breathing. And other times it's like pausing to reflect on one thing in particular. So these past two weeks, interestingly, have been on rest. And we've just talked about like, what are you doing to leave a moment of pause into your day or into your week? So a lot of times when we, when we pause with people, they realize like, oh my gosh, I haven't been breathing. I haven't even taken a moment to pause. The other thing that we do in this pause that has to do with that is boundaries right we humans are really bad at setting boundaries and if you don't have boundaries you don't have time to pause and that's just reality right boundaries create some agency over your your time mm-hmm. um and so we we model a lot of times what boundaries look like for our clients so we always say we rest for our clients and we model boundaries for our clients until they feel like they can do that too and by that I mean in our contracts, we say we work eight to five, Monday through Friday, and we're not going to email you outside of those times. We're not going to contact you, of course, in, you know, unless we're working an event with them on a weekend or something. But in general, that's when we're working. We all we don't typically schedule meetings over the lunch hour. We don't do really long workshops. We do we keep them three hours or under if we're doing that. And so I think when clients work with us for a period of time, they start to realize, oh, it is possible to actually set a boundary and still get this work done. So that's the first one, right? It's it's pausing for just a moment. And the reason we pause, well, we gotta set boundaries to do it, but the reason we pause is so that then we can listen. And so this is a really interesting one. Um, so one of my favorite quotes, and I don't even know who said it is, um, your body is like the quiet talker with the most important thing to say. I like, so like yeah, I know, right? It's like, oh, yeah. Because when we're so busy, we're not actually taking any time to listen to ourselves. And our bodies are way smarter than we are, you know? They're mm-hmm. very smart. And so when we pause and then we listen with our clients and we say, you know, what is your body telling you right now that you need? And it's so fascinating. People will go, Oh my gosh! I really need to go to the bathroom. Like oh, it's two p.m. and I haven't gone to the bathroom. Yeah. Right? Yeah.
1: Or right. water or food. Exactly.
0: I've had five cups of coffee, but no water today. So it's like yes, like one. That's that kind of help, right? Like pause and listening to what your body needs. You know, a lot of times our body is just telling us, like, I'm tired. And sometimes I'm sure that means we need to get extra like actual sleep, but sometimes that means I'm tired because I've been sitting in front of this cute computer and I need to get up and move, mm-hmm. you know? So that's one thing that we do. The other is when we un- onboard our clients, we, we always ask them, how does fundraising feel? And I think I asked this in a session I was with you and Gabe, right? How does fundraising feel right now? And inevitably we get answers like chaotic. Stressful,
1: tedious. anxious,
0: anxious. <laughs> yeah, right. Like time-consuming, tiresome. Like oh, so so. Like you know, lukewarm, whatever it is. And then we also ask, well, how do you want it to feel? And that's when you get into people are saying, well, I want it to feel like exciting or exhilarating or, or good. Again, I want it to feel like a sense of ease. Right. Mm-hmm. And the reason we ask that is for two reasons. One is like to validate that feeling that keeps you in the very present moment, right? So like, okay, yes, it is feeling um, chaotic right now or anxiety producing. So you in the present moment and then you can take an action about that, right? To identify what is making it feel that way. And the other is when we talk about how we want it to feel, that, that starts getting into some of our own values, right? Mm-hmm. We want we want it to feel authentic. We want it to feel responsive. We want it to feel joyful or happy, engaging. So then we start tapping into some of those values, and that's really important, right? To one, validate where you are. Why is it feeling this way? So we can take some action about that. We're going to get to that, and then also, how do we want it to feel? So we can align that with what we're doing and what our practice is on a daily basis. Okay, so we paused and we've listened. And the next one I think I had it kind of is tracking happiness. and and this is really like evaluation. So, um, humans are notoriously bad at like d- d- deciding what makes us happy. Like <laughs> we're happy're we're really bad at it. like um, you know, we think like happiness is so elusive or like, I don't know that I can never get back to feeling that joy again. I and mean, the re- reality is, you can. It's typically not as elusive as you think. It's just, we filled our days and our practice with so many things that actually aren't aligned with our values and bringing us happiness that it feels like we've lost it. And it's really just, it's it's gotten lost in the shuffle, not that it's like unattainable. And so with clients that are maybe having a little trouble, or if you're having trouble identifying, right? Like, what what is it that is like going to bring joy or feels like it's aligned? We say track your happiness. Like that's the easy way to think about it. So it is literally as you go through your day, jot down the same way you would, if you're like keeping a food journal, you know, jot down like what you did and then give it a, a ranking one to 10. Like, how did it make you feel like 10s, happy zeros, miserable. So like, you know, had a meeting with Sue, all right, oh, that was kind of a four, you know, Um, had an all staff meeting, had a great team conversation, you know, and that was an eight or nine, finished up a grant, six, you know, whatever it is, put some numbers by it. And so what you're really, What you're really looking for is some trends in that. And so you're Mm -hmm. really looking for like, how are you spending your time? Most of us are spending a lot of time doing things that make us feel pretty darn miserable. Um, (laughs) And so you're looking for like trends and like, what about it, you know, felt good or felt bad. And even just part of like self-monitoring what you're doing, that can increase happiness because it like gives you the sense of control. Thank you.